Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by Courtney Nguyen. Courtney, the U.S. Open is over. I don't know about you. I'm relieved. <laughs> it's been a couple weeks. It's been a couple weeks of, <laughs> of this tournament. How are you uh, How are you holding up? How, how, what are your thoughts now that we are on Sunday evening awaiting an Uber Eats delivery after Novak Djokovic and Naomi Osaka, our Grand Slam champions, one of them for the 14th time, one of them for the first. How, how, overall, big picture, we'll get into the winners of Saka first, uh, but how do you feel about this tournament overall? What, what, what's your, you know, if you had to fill in a, a, a Mad Libs, <laughs> what adjectives are coming to mind? Oh, that's dangerous, because I used to be real savage with the Mad Libs. <laughs> um, no, I definitely the most eventful slam that I've covered. Um, and I've only started covering slams in 2010 or 11. Yeah. So it, it's not, I mean, that hasn't a ton. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, the Richard Evans is of the world who has covered 50 U.S. Opens. I thought that was amazing. Richard Evans on Twitter, on, uh, who's a, a great sports writer. Um, and Steve Flank, who's covered like 48 or something like that, which is crazy. I can't even imagine it. But yeah. They had a thing for, for journalists who've covered more than... 40 they like all yeah. on court and there was like a bunch of yeah them. it's impressive yeah, it's super impressive but but at least for me since 2010 like this was definitely the most eventful slam because it just kept going there have been slams where crazy things have happened in isolation there was the wacky wimbledon there was the crazy heat wave in australia there was all the you know the, the, i don't know I, I don't know what else stands out but well, it wasn't results almost ever yeah it was true. almost all like in the miscellany category it was almost all in what i it was quirk and what i call what i usually mirthfully referred to as the whimsy of the tournament <laughs> this tournament was in even things that aren't like haha funny but they're just sort of like weird like oddity things like even like the alize cornet shirt bra situation that would fall under the whimsy category right. my broad definition no like impact things, on a, things that yeah. have no impact on the match and are just sort of like viral moments for things this tournament kept delivering all of them some of them did have impact on can matches. you name can you name off everything so i just today for the new york times wrote i think there was a timeline of things that happened to this tournament Starting, which was very useful for what we're about to do here, I hope. So, but basically starting with, and we'll get to Naomi Osaka, we promise. Um, we got to hold us to that, folks. Um, but starting with, you know, Venus and Serena drawing each other, and then Serena drawing uh, Halep. The quarter round. of death, which looked like the quarter, quarter of, of death. death. Yeah, and wasn't easy in the end. No, yeah. um, Serena didn't get a free ride through that. Um, having to play both Venus and Pliskova, which is, I mean, decently tough enough. Then... Um, to mention your favorite story of the whole tournament, which is Peter Polanski, and then, <laughs> and then uh, the cat suit thing with Serena and Bernard Guicciali oh happened. Also, I mean, Sharapova draw Schneider. Oh, Sharapova uh, Schneider was whimsy. That's whimsy. Yeah, like Schneider is whimsy. She's, I mean, definition of whimsy. But continue. Yeah, but the, but then and then within ninety minutes of this tournament, Simona Halep is out. Mm -hmm. Ninety minutes was generous. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was match. hour twenty-seven, um, yeah. and it was uh, it was yeah, she was out in the first match on Armstrong. That was the first, like, that was the only real thing that was, like, boom, results. And there were other um, grand other uh, other top five players who left early. Kvitova, Mosniaki, uh, Kerber all lost first week, so four of the top five. All on Armstrong. All on Armstrong. And then Zverev also lost on the same day as Kerber and Kvitova on Armstrong. 
Wimbledon set a very high bar for carnage. Um, so because we only had one That's of the true. top 10. You're like, this ain't bad. Right, because we only had <laughs> one of the top 10 make it to fourth round at Wimbledon on the women's side. When two of the top 10 made the quarters this year, it was like, whoa, growth. And it was still like, even in the semis by seedings, very low numbers. Uh, Serena was number 17. Uh, Sevasa was 19. Osaka was 20. And Osaka and Keys was 14. So Keys was the high seed at 14, which is lower then I think three of the players, I think it's 11, 12, and 13 were all, and Serena were all in Wimbledon. So, I mean, but again, that was sort of a thing. If that had been, if Wimbledon hadn't happened, that would have been a big story. Like, mm, where did all yeah. this top 10 go? But we were kind of like over that because that was repetitive. <laughs> but everything else was just novel and new. I mean, I have never had to grasp with the concept or the conundrum before of what it looks like when a chair empire could be coaching a player. I've never had to grapple with that before. I've never had to grapple with players needing to leave court because they are sweating so much that it's making the court dangerous. That's new. I've never seen Roger sweat, period. I've never seen, you know, um, trying to other Men things that happen. deal with heat breaks. I've never... The heat that, breaks, that, that yes. The heat, the extreme... Accusations of unfair coaching during the heat breaks from Andy Murray about oh Fernando Verdasco. I completely forgot all the Verdasco thing. Oh, yeah. All these things happened. Um, and then there's, like, like, like Nick Kyrgios semi-bullying stuff and Sitsipas and yeah, then Nick Kyrgios sure. and Donna Vekic and deleting tweets Nick Kyrgios versus you yep. there was a lot of that um, a lot of people versus you on Twitter that was happening a lot that was yeah. my secondary that was like my undercard of the of the tournament honestly <laughs> very entertaining every day but it, it just never it was stuff and then on top of that there were like some crazy awesome matches like the Deminer Chilich match was yeah. phenomenal the last set was I couldn't understand um, how Alex Deminer does what he does so um, great. it was so good um, and then the next day, who was it again? That was like the late, oh, Rafa. Rafa uh, and team. Uh, team, which yeah. was obviously incredible. That was good. So there were like good matches. Rafa Kachanoff was good. Rafa Kachanoff. Sabalenka Osaka. Oh, that was, we'll get delicious. to that more. Like that, that yeah, that's was like part of Naomi. One of the most important matches of the tournament. I think maybe the most important match of the tournament in yeah. a lot of ways in terms of shaping yeah. how the tournament Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. So, yeah, so, I mean, a lot of stuff happened and it was all just sort of like, but in terms of like, the, like what made it different, I think. Like Wimbledon, when Wimbledon uh, had the Black Wednesday or whatever and all that, it was like the story is people losing. It wasn't off-court nonsense. Although it was the tournament, Slippery. right, with, with uh, Sharapova and Serena and saying whatever oh, Maria the, said about the, the okay. Rolling Stone article, all that stuff. That did happen at that tournament before it. So there was that off-court That was before, about. but that had nothing that to was do con- with Wednesday. That had nothing to do with the results. Yeah. This was like, and again, these were just like, it was just constantly things happening. I mean... And meanwhile, you have, we haven't mentioned Juan Martin Del Potro made the final of this tournament, which is his first final in nine years. He's a sentimental fave. I mean, so all these things, a lot of stuff happened. But let's start with Naomi Osaka, who absolutely was a revelation of this tournament, played incredibly well, and absolutely got overshadowed. So we're going to try to shine some light on her, take away that shadow. Naomi Osaka, I felt like because of everything that happened on Saturday, I didn't get a chance to sort of like, to professionally to like squee about it the way i should have mm, mm. just because naomi osaka has been busy reporting on it the right yeah. because on other things and trying to will anybody comment on what happened in this match like <laughs> oh, sorry i can't talk about what happened <laughs> no I, I, I no you i can't say anything. <laughs> a lot of that a lot of that a lot of well-meaning smiles and polite declines as we say in tennis um it's a polite decline it's a polite Maybe decline next week. but um but yeah it's uh it was quite a tournament from her and I'll be honest, I mentioned this match just a couple minutes ago, but I really thought the way this tournament was shaping up was Sabalenka's. You did? I, I thought I was pretty high on the Sabalenka train. Sabalenka made semis of 
Cincinnati, one New Haven. I'm just playing so well. And I went out and watched. Were you there when she played Kvitova? Did yeah. Come out? Oh, yeah. And she just like destroyed Petra yeah. Kvitova. And it wasn't close. No. It was not remotely close, that match. And she was just looking so good, so solid. And when it was like the first set of that match, and Osaka was hanging with her early on, I was like, oh, okay. And then she won. And Osaka, that was like an emotional win for Osaka. It was her first time reaching the quarters of a slam. And. That winning that match, I don't know if she expected to win that match or not, but that seemed to sort of unlock something in her. And from that point on, not that she'd been bad because she just come off double bagel in Sasnovich, which was a she won twenty two consecutive line. games at some point in this match because they had the double bagel. She had another bagel to finish the match previous, yeah. and then won a few games before in the first set. So I mean, yeah, I mean Osaka, I mean just jumping off of, of yeah. that, um, I think that the win over Sabalenka was less about Sabalenka and more about making the quarterfinals for Osaka. I think that because yeah. she said like I mean she was in tears after yeah. she uh, beat Sabalenka and the big thing there and and what was the real kind of flair that she kind of threw you know shot up in the air from that match is that you know she comes out of the heat break she just lost the second set momentum's all with Sabalenka who's at that point just strutting like she was like just absolutely all over um, Osaka. Uh, they come out of the heat break. Osaka gets broken fairly early, and she looks really, really negative, really despondent. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, look, I've seen a lot of Naomi Osaka matches. I've seen this body language. This could be a 6-2 set, you know, for, for Sabalenka. But she steals herself, and she steps up, and she breaks, and she get, she basically winds herself back into that match and winds up, or I guess, you know, uh, unwinds Sabalenka. And, and to the point where it was Sabalenka who was like forced to save all these match, all these break points. And, um, you know, her power, Osaka started to kind of play basically the style that would eventually win her the title, mm-hmm. which was being less like, I'm going to out hit you and hit you off the court and more, I'm going to force you. Counterpunching. Yeah, she counterpunches. She counterpunches very well against Sabalenka. She gets that win. She finally makes her first quarterfinal. She had said that was a big hump for her to, to, to cross. She was in tears, very emotional after that win. And then from there, like, she never really showed emotion after any other win that she had for a variety of different reasons. But, like, she goes and she beats Serenko very easily because Serenko was, had a viral illness, didn't play well that day. That's to a make, freebie, kind yeah, of. Yeah, to make the semifinals. Plays a tough match against Madison Keys, saves 13 of 13 break points. I'm still, I haven't had time to, like, sit down with the database to try and figure out when's the last time somebody saved 13 break points and never was broken to win a match. I, I just, I have no recollection of this ever happening mm-hmm. in my women's head. Women's especially. Yeah, women's yeah. especially. Yeah. Just a women's record. So I'm, I'm trying to figure that out because I've never seen anything like that. And she wins it and it's her first win over Madison. She's making her first major final and she seems pretty chill about it. And then the final. And then the final. But yes, I mean, on Osaka's game though, I mean, because Osaka, when we first, and you guys hopefully, hopefully if you're into delightful things, listen to the previous mini episode we did which was about Osaka. The discovery of Our discovery of her, right. And we can kind of fill out this journey more in in between. So that was kind of just the very beginning that we probably could have talked more about, but we were doing a short episode. When she first came on, it was, holy hell, can this girl hit the ball real hard? That was our take on her. And this, like, you know, Mach 5 forehand she was hitting. And those weren't really almost ever on display in this tournament. Maybe, like, once. I can't even remember one too clearly. The best, the best clean hits that she had from the baseline were counter punching shots like that yeah. forehand pass against Serena in the in the in the final a few against Madison where she but they were counter punch they they were they were wow yeah. shots because they were counter punching shots not because she just absolutely yeah. clocked a shot but she's a someone who could have been fairly I think and I saw her play 
in 2015, I believe, in, in Roehampton. And just very briefly, and even when she was in Australia the first couple of times, she was definitely fit into the uh, the genus of ball basher. Yeah. You know, like, she was absolutely in that sort of mold. That was her thing, and obviously it's a thing that can work in tennis. But she's evolved so much into this. And then she shows so much composure. All of that comes into, let's just talk about the final now. <laughs> um, the final, uh, Naomi Osaka comes in playing Serena Williams, who's her idol, who she's talked about a lot. Even that in that first episode we did, yeah, last and, episode. And it has to be emphasized, okay, because a lot of people, young players on tour, say that they looked up to Serena. I do not know of a single player on tour that says it as adamantly, as heartfelt, yeah. and brings it up on her own as much as Naomi Osaka. Yeah, I like, agree. Serena is built into her tennis DNA. Everything about what she tries to do is modeled after years and years of cheering for Serena. And everything about what her father tried to do. Yes. Leonard Francois in modeling them. I mean, Naomi is the only player of any relevance since the Williams sisters who completely, uh, uh, as our friend would say, abjured junior <laughs> tournaments. Tommy. He, he's uh, Tommy with the Tommy with the big brain. He's, uh, <laughs> but he's he. They followed this model very closely, and there were two. You know, there was sister, obviously Mario Osaka is her older sister, and there was this clear, you know, archit- plan, this yep. clear blueprint that that Leonard was following from Richard Williams, from the Williams family success and has followed now to a T winning a grand slam. Uh, it's that's pretty impressive. And so, yeah, so it's different because even though she started them herself, a lot of like the Sloan Serena comparisons felt far more forced. Yeah. yeah. This one does, this one's organic. And I, I almost like, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel like you almost can when writing about Osaka, like oversell it. Too much. No, you can't. And no. and it's actually very as because even when I was writing my piece and, you know, really thinking about how to talk about Naomi, you know, there was a part of me that was kind of like, I don't know, do I really want to keep up bringing the idol worship and keep up keep on bringing up Serena in articles about Naomi? But the reality of it is it is so much a part of her story. Yeah. And 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 it it, it 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 her understanding how much and how she feels about Serena allows you to understand how she thinks on the court and how she plays her game and what her ambitions are. And I think that that is, again, as we talk about the final, that will, that will kind of come up. But uh, it's, it's imp- it, it, they're, they're interwoven whether Serena wants it or not like it, because, because Naomi has kind of never shied from it and yeah. really embraces it. Like She calls herself a Serena fan. Yeah. You know? And she said even during the match. And she yeah. said even during the match she had moments of, and I wasn't in her this was in the round table i wasn't there um where she talked about sort of having and you can explain this better sort of like a what a what would serena do moment yeah no so after beating her beating serena the first time in miami in march uh she was the one naomi that brought it up herself about this idea that sometimes in matches she when she gets into tight situations she literally thinks in her head what would serena do and she that's how she and then that's how she plays her game and so I asked her um, in the post-press conference roundtables that we have for some select press, um, you know, did that ever come up? I mean, obviously you're playing Serena. Like, but did you, and she, she said, absolutely. Like, I, and she came up with a funny story. You can hear her explain it on the WTA Insider Champions Corner that I do with her. Um, but, but yeah, she said, you know, it definitely came up. I thought about it. But then at the same time, the other side of me was basically saying, no, no, no. You have to do this. You can't. 
she was basically having this debate in her head in the in the final. You know, what would Serena do? No, do it yourself. You do it. Don't worry about Serena. But Serena's better. And like, you know, and then like she saved two break points and she's like, okay, just go for it. Do your thing. Go for it. And then I went for it and I missed. And then I was like, if you did what Serena was going to do, you wouldn't have missed the ball. <laughs> it's pretty great. No, and she did. I mean, she was bold and especially some of those big serves down break points and even big surges on important and, points yeah she went big and she hit spots at like 117 miles per hour it was it was serena-esque Na- naomi osaka was broken five times this tournament over yeah. seven matches at one point she wins 22 consecutive games she double bagels alexander Saznovich, who knocked out petra kvitova at wimbledon no. and made the brisbane final. Is, no Saznovich is a good and player not only that like that was a brutal double bageling like i yeah. forget how many points Saznovich won but it was not many no it was like it was I want to say it was like I'm gonna, less than twenty. I want to say it was like I think it was seventeen. Yeah, seventeen's a number that comes to my head. Yeah, right and that's like, and I think that I think Sasevich also went up like had game points in the first game. Like yeah. she got a lot of her points early in yeah. that match. She banked them early, yeah. and then like it was it was pretty it was just one way traffic. And the thing about Osaka, and again when we talk about the Serena comparisons, what became really evident it was less evident in Indian Wells because I feel like in Indian Wells that was that was more of a power Naomi. Yeah, that was making it through, but in New York, what I mean when we talk about what makes Serena great, it's that in a lot of ways she's hacked tennis because you're not supposed to be able to hit for power the way that Serena does, but also be mobile and be able to be as as, as quick as she is yeah. and dig out of corners the way that she is. You're not supposed to be able to play that style of game. And I always say this, and it's a broken record, but Serena's never given credit for how good of a counterpuncher she is and how she's able to solve and use that that short absorb cross... Pace. Co- absorb pace. Use that cross forehand, that short cross forehand yeah. that, that takes and spins off the court. It's a great shot. There's a lot more variety in what she tries to do. And you're not supposed to do that, but still be able to hit a power game, yeah. right? Like, I mean, this is why Petra Kvitova is Petra Kvitova or Ostapenko is Ostapenko because they can hit... But that, or, or Madison, which is what Osaka exposed in the semifinal. You can hit, but you can't do what I do, which is like drop back and, and dig out of corners. So that's what where the comparisons and the similarities with Serena, like yeah. they're not, you know, one for one. But in the final, Osaka hits, hits a bigger serve than Serena, 119. Serena topped out at 118. Her average serve speed was higher than Serena's. Hmm. She hit more aces than Serena. So on top of all of that, she also has the serve. Yeah. Which is the ultimate thing in women's tennis that can shift the entire game your way. If you can hold serve, everything changes. Yeah. We see this with Plis- with Pliskova. Yeah. She's not holding serve and everything falls apart in her game a little bit, right? Like she's not as reliable. She had a game built around serve, which yes. is rare in women's tennis for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, so, absolutely. No, so Serena was uh, similar. Osaka, was doing, Osaka was doing Serena esque things. Yeah. And even the kind of like running forehand winner she would hit occasionally. She didn't hit it with quite as much uh, pace as a Serena mm-hmm. would hit that shot. But she seems like really everything. The thing that was so impressive about Osaka's run, and especially her semifinal, and especially the final, is she just seemed to be playing so within herself. Yeah. It was not a case of her remotely training. It no. was not a case of her remotely, you know, doing the thing that Serena talks about, which I think is fair. Serena talked about Wimbledon, where a player plays me and they play the match of their lives. Like, obviously, this was one of the better matches Naomi Osaka's played. You can't deny that. But at the same time, she wasn't like, I've never seen her hit that shot before. Or, yeah. I mean, I think she was maybe smarter than she's ever been in a lot of ways. Her, her game plan was perfect. And I don't think it hurts her that she has in her corner yeah. a guy who knows Serena better than anybody. Betty, I mean, yeah. the guy who's hit the most balls with professional level Serena 
Probably, even, probably even more than Venus, I'm guessing. Oh, wow. Well. I mean, top two. Top two. Top two. Top two. Top two. You know, this long-time hitting partner in Sasha Bayan. That's going to be the perfect scouting report. And early on, Osaka was doing different kind of patterns, really picking on Serena's backhand more than people do. It was all just really impressive, and I was hugely impressed by her, especially in the first set. Uh, which went six two. The second set of this match gets considerably messier. <laughs> so here we go. Go for it. So Serena is uh, returning at o one in the second set. I've I've seen this replay like so many times. I have to go back through this match so often. Uh, fifth point of the second game. Yeah, she's down fifteen forty. So before the fifth point, and she gets a coaching. Is it? There's an announcement. They're showing Serena on the screen. She looked, I can I could reenact the whole thing. Uh, really good for radio. And really good for radio. <laughs> and they gets and then Carlos Ramos is the chair empire for the uh, final. Only male picked for any of the four, five finals in the pro level of US Open this year, which is interesting. Um, interesting that you pick four women and don't have them do women's singles. Kind of an odd pick. Uh, anyway, Carlos uh, says code violation, uh, coaching, warning Mrs. Williams. And Serena sort of stops and looks and then walks to, they show Patrick looking confused and then um, looking surprised more than confused, I think. doesn't look confused per se, although it's amazing if you watch. <laughs> so I'll, I'll get to that for a second. Um, I've seen this so many times, you guys. Uh, so Serena walks up to the chair and says something like, um, you know, you might have just given me a thumbs up. That just means like, come on, we don't have, we don't have a code. Like, I, I know, I understand what you think you saw, but you didn't do that. Like, I don't need to cheat to win, essentially what she said. It was very, like, quick, like, snappy response. It was good. It was good. She walks back to her chair. Or, sorry, she walks back to the baseline. The camera goes back to Serena's box. And you see Kelly Rowland lean over and go, what just happened? It is <laughs> I didn't see so that. great. I, I, on, like, the 17th viewing of this moment, I saw Kelly Rowland lean over and say, what just happened? I completely didn't realize that yeah. Kelly Rowland was here. Kelly Rowland was there. Okay. Yeah, she looks different. In the box. I didn't know. It's just in Hefford. Yeah. No, she was sitting behind um, Patrick. So okay. they show Patrick and Kelly Rowland leans over in the back and it's like, what just happened? But actually, and also one of the things that they do show, another camera angle that I was watching, is that um, Patrick, after the, the code is announced... Uh, the ca- the camera in the box kind of shows him kind of with this this slight grin as though kind of like he got his hand caught in the cookie jar mm. like it wasn't like he was like what like he just yeah. was like mm. like yeah. you know like he, he wasn't me. he wasn't he wasn't like a gas yeah he wasn't like what me no never well, which is makes and then sense again because... obviously and then he later on admitted to ESPN and Eurosport but pretty quickly like yes I was coaching and then sort of downplayed it and says head sort of a everybody does it type approach. And so all that seemed to be fine. And then Serena, uh, Osaka holds and then Serena saves a break point and holds for two, one in the second. And then she sits down at her chair and has a conversation with Carlos Ramos in which she explains herself further, which I expected to have happen to me. Cause obviously I, this is, this was already getting flashbacks of 2011 Serena final against Doser where she got called for something during the game. And then, had more to say when she got a call for her hindrance and then got had more to say during the next changeover. But in this one, she was talking and she seemed very, very conciliatory still. And she was saying, Oh, I just want to make sure I don't do that. You know, I'm an honest player or whatever. Um, and, and, and I wouldn't, I wasn't, I wasn't cheating. And, and I think, and Carlos Ramos said something conciliatory, I think. And it was hard to hear him. You could hear Serena pretty clearly. Um, it seems sort of like, Oh, I know. Like I understand, I understand. And she was like, okay, thank you. And she seemed very grateful. And the case seemed to be somewhat closed. Uh, then Serena gets broken for 3-2 in the 
Mind second, you, Serena second. had broken yeah. to 3-1. Serena went up, yeah, was up just, a break. Let's, right. I, I, feel, I feel like that's a really important okay. thing that gets right. lost. Serena goes up a break. Yeah. After the initial code, yeah. Serena breaks. Yeah. So she has a break lead. Yeah. Now so That's a good point. Serena has a break lead. Then she gets broken back for 3-2 pretty quickly. Quick, Immediately. Quick exchange of breaks, right. Um, Double faulted back-to-back. She was yeah. up 30-15 in that game. Double right. faults back-to-back and then hits a backhand unforced. So, again... Just to emphasize, Serena had the lead at 3-1. Serena played a crap, crap game yeah. to give it back to 2-3. Good point. Now we set uh, the table. There we go. And so then Serena breaks her racket. And as expected, and I was like, and I remember seeing her being like, oh, that's a point. Yeah, I think we all kind of yelled. We're like, oh, code, point. Like, yeah. I mean, it's because automatic. It's also, it's also rare. Yeah. And you don't you don't see players, you know, I mean, it's points are not that unheard of. Like, point penalties happen. Um, but then... So Serena gets her point penalty, sits down, is just sort of generally sitting there, just sort of looking. Nothing really remarkable happens in this changeover. So Serena gets up from the 3-2 changeover, and it's told by Carlos Ramos to move to the ad side of the court because it's 15-love on Osaka's serve. And this seems to be, she apparently had not heard the point penalty or didn't understand that she got a point penalty. It's possible she thought, what seemed to be her thought, honestly, is that she thought that she had successfully share Horowitz her way out of the coaching violation, right? <laughs> Explain it so for people who don't know who Cher Horowitz is. Cher Horowitz, who you should all know, but yes, Cher Horowitz true. is the protagonist of the 1995 film Clueless. <laughs> it sounds so official and I, like, so it's an Oscar-winning role, which it should have been. <laughs> it should have been. It should have been. It should have been. absolutely given her an Oscar. Alicia Silverstone. One of the best movies of all time, Clueless. Right. And so Alicia Silverstone, it's a very like sort of like three or four act movie. It has very distinct chapters. But the first chapter of Clueless is about her debating and arguing and convincing teachers to give her better grades. Like she gets bad grades and then debates her way up into higher grades. Serena seemed to think, I'm sure she's seen this movie, that she had Cher Horowitz her way out of this first code violation. She thought that in this conversation, which was very productive with Mr. Hall, a.k.a. Carlos Ramos, that she this works right no i think i feel like i've seen the movie like so often but i would not be able to articulate it the way you're doing i'm just like amazed go ben what she should have done is set him up with mrs geist but she didn't get that far in the the match unfortunately oh maybe donna kelso i don't know anyway (laughs) going too far brian early is elton it's a whole thing definitely elton okay so um serena (laughs) serena serena seems she seems surprised. She's like, no. And she's like, no, I didn't get coached. And she goes back to, instead of arguing the racket abuse, which is not debatable, and hopefully everyone's seen this. I don't know how much detail I need to go into. But instead of arguing the racket abuse, she goes back to the coaching thing. And it's like, I didn't get coached. I, you said, like, you, like, she seems to think, you accept, I thought you accepted that. She thought that Carlos she Ramos thought had, that retracted. had retracted it, which, let's be clear, I've never seen happen in a match. Never seen I've never happen. seen a code violation get retracted in a match. So, but she seemed to think she had. She gets, she's upset. She, she starts, she invokes her daughter. She says, she gets more vi- visibly upset and just seems betrayed by this. And seems to take it very personally. And that's the whole thing. This is where I think she sort of lost a bit of control of herself or of the match. Is that she took this coaching thing, which was Patrick's action. This was Patrick making, as he admitted, a very distinct coaching thing. And Serena saw at least a little of it because she saw his thumbs were up which is sort of the top of his hand. So it seemed like from her angle on court level, maybe she saw... Oh, that's saw, a good point, because she saw yeah. something. She saw she, something. She, she talked did look. about the thumbs up. Yeah, right. Thing. So Patrick, I mean, it's hard to... You can't see me on audio, but he did some... You've probably seen... If you've ever it. seen anybody yeah. 
coaching and trying to get their player to move, move forward. forward. It was the that universal that. move forward symbol. Yeah. So even if they didn't, I think this is why, and we'll and get into the goods and bads. I think as far as the coaching initial violation, like that was pretty clear coaching. You know, she was losing the match. She was looking over towards her box to see at least something, getting a signal from her coach. It wasn't like it was Kelly Rowland, you know, doing some sort of stand my name choreography. It was Rich. Patrick. I know, right? Although was, she wouldn't do that. Was she? Oh, yeah. Never mind. I forgot that she was OG. Oh, yeah. She's OG. I forgot. No, for a split was, second. She's the only one who lasted. I know. I Michelle's know. the new one. I don't know. I just, I new. had a bit of a brain fart. Has only been in Destiny Child for 15 years or so. Um, <laughs> bless, bless her for surviving. She's a survivor. That's, That's when, that was her first album. Kelly and Patrick are in the box doing their thing. And Serena is there and just getting more and more upset and plays on. The crowd's getting angry now. The crowd starts booing. Um, and then they each win a game. They each hold. And so Serena sits back down, down a break still at 3-4 in the second set. And she continues to lay into Carlos Ramos, continuing to demand an apology, being like, where's my apology? You owe me an apology. You should apologize to me. I didn't do this. You should apologize. You know, you did this. You're a liar. And then, you're, you know, you should apologize to me. I would never do this, such a thing, you know, and you stole a point from me. You're a thief. And But, more, but it goes on and on. That was a condensed version. She kept haranguing him, for lack of a better Term. And as she gets up from her chair, she is assessed a third code violation for verbal abuse. And this comes with a game penalty. And people didn't seem to be clear on this, so let's be clear. Code violations have fixed penalties. The first three do. So when you get code violations, the first one is a warning, which was, in this case, she got four. And not to get super technical, yeah. but it's also separate types of codes. So, like... The, the three codes that Serena got, and I don't know what the other codes are off the top of my head that are involved in it, trigger this set of penalties. But, like, code violation uh, or, time, or sorry. time violations are different. Time violations are different. Okay, that's we're good. Different. We're good. Time, time violations, violations are codes. different. Yes. Hinder- that was all of that. Was hindrance, point. which she got in 2011, that's not a code that's not violation. A code. It's that's a just less. a loss of point. Oh, right. it's a loss of point, yeah. Yeah, the way she got it. These were, these were fixed penalties. I mean, Carlos had to pull, hit the, pull the trigger essentially for each successive blow the whistle on her. But the first one had to be a warning which I don't think anybody objects to. The second one had to be a point, and the third one had to be a game. Had she gotten a fourth, it could have either been another game or they would they would bring the referee at this point and she could get defaulted from the match. So, but the third one, if he was going to call it, had to be a game. And a lot of people are saying now that the, one of the main reactions is that Carlos should have had discretion or thicker skin and not called this on Serena. The thing, why I don't, I understand where people are coming from. I understand this idea that a referee's job should be to keep, you know, calm in a match and should be to keep the flow of things going and not become part of the match. I understand that. However, where Serena screwed up in a way that I think other players routinely do not screw up, and I, I, I throw in the Finneys in this situation, even the, you know, the, people think of the bad boys of tennis, and they are almost all men who are in these situations. I mean, Rodionova certainly had her moments, but they mostly are men, the people who... You know, repeated one offenders. of my one of my favorite tweets about this it's like people don't know the third co-violation is you know a game they should try being a Golbus fan <laughs> like you know people some people who are those kind of players yeah. know these rules better and serena is not generally one of those players but the players who are those players when they get their point penalty they immediately pretty much always go on best behavior or or in Kyrgios this case they kind of tank they just kind of give up and just sort of play the rest of the match. But they on certainly don't autopilot. Don't but push they it don't keep further. pushing it. And this is what this is what when Brian Early came out after the game penalty. This is what he said to Serena. He said, "You knew the risk," to her, and that rang very true to me. Like she, she should know 
that she's continuing to push her luck by continuing to, and I, I understand that she didn't use any foul language, but the definition of verbal abuse is not the definition of another code, which is audible obscenity, but she was not charged with. Well, that's that's about cursing at somebody. But this one... Or just cursing. Right, cursing, yeah, it's and, and gener generally audibly. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the most common code violations for anybody to get. That and racket abuse and ball abuse are probably mm -hmm. the three most common. But Serena kept going, and in this way, and I think she, I think she thought she was being, you know, civil in the way she talked, but the rules, and I had never, I don't know if I'd ever read the rules for verbal abuse before, and I don't know if Serena ever read this rule, probably not. It's, it's interestingly, it was weirdly specifically ap apropos for what she said. It was about you should not not in these exact words, I know it wasn't this verb, but like impugn the integrity or call question, call someone dishonest or call someone, you know, that dishonest is dis definitely dishonest is the key thing. So calling someone a liar is the definition of calling them dishonest. And by the letter of the law, at that point, if he's following the rules, and there's another point I'll make, Patrick, uh, sorry, Carlos is supposed to call the, that's the broken rule. And he's a, a strict guy. He's been consistently strict through his whole career. We mentioned the, the Kyrgios, I think we alluded to the Nick Kyrgios, Mohamed Leani thing earlier on. We'll get to that later in the show. That's the complete opposite of, of you know, laxness and, and trying to be buddies with the player. Carlos is not that guy. And I think Carlos's interpretation of the rules, to me, as someone who's around the sport all the time and, you know, seeks rules for clarity, I find that very hard to argue against, that someone following the letter of the law is in the wrong. You can say, I wish there was lenience, but it's just not how it works. If you get pulled over, this is an analogy we used that day, and we get a bunch of, a bunch of, some analogies were better than others, but this one I thought worked. If you get pulled over for a speeding ticket, you know, going, I don't know, 75 and a 65 or something like that, and it's normally like in a kind of range where they don't usually do it, and you, you drive home, that's on your daily commute every day, you take this road and you'll get pulled over for the first time in your second year on doing this route, you might feel like, but I've never done, like this doesn't happen, but you saw the sign 65 you knew what the potential consequences were and maybe and maybe she doesn't know the rules and player lack of rule familiarity is a whole different issue serena has no excuse for not being familiar with the rules having been on tour for as long as she has i'm sure she would say that too yeah i just thought i mean it's one there's a lot of outside tennis takes that are he should be lenient he should have a thicker skin i mean katrina adams said that day which i thought was kind of ridiculous um i thought it was wholly ridiculous actually he's following the rules yeah. Serena broke the rules. His job is to enforce the rules. And I don't think being a stickler for rules or being a rules guy, quote unquote, is a bad trait in someone who's literally there to officiate a match and know the rules and enforce the rules. And I also don't think on the coaching and on less on these two, but especially on the coaching, if, if Carlos, when Carlos saw Sir Patrick signaling to Serena, and I think Patrick deserves more blame than he's gotten for precipitating and starting this whole thing in motion, for thinking, because Serena clearly doesn't think she needs coaching, and I'm sure she t has told him that before. Yeah, yeah. So if he's going out, of, going against her wishes by coaching her during the match, and she made that clear in her post-match press conference that I don't know why he would admit that, I don't know why he thought he needed to coach me or what he was doing. It's unfair to Osaka if you see this player in Serena getting unfair help against Ill illegal, illicit, whatever help, and again, not imputing Serena's character for having her coach do it, and don't call it, and just look the other way. That's not your job. And this is more the point. We'll get to Kyrgios Leoni later, which was much more egregious against Pierre Uguerbert. But yeah, all, all, and that's been a lot of me talking. But I think that, you know, for me, if there is a debate over the rules, look at the rules. The rules to me are pretty black and white for these specific words she said. They just don't leave a lot of wiggle room except for 
just closing your eyes and pretending it didn't happen, which is not, would have been, to use the word again, abjuring his duties. So I agree with a lot of that. And I think that I, I just have a few kind of points. Yeah. One is that like, I, I, I saw that take that you were mentioning earlier, like this idea of like umpires are there to like control the match. I'm like, no, that's actually not what umpires are there for. At least from my opinion, maybe that's what people within tennis. And I, even though I'm in tennis, but maybe former players or, you know, that have been around it. They're like, no, your job is to control the crowd. I'm like, no, your job is to enforce the rules. That seems to now, be a big former player opinion, I will say. Yeah, yeah, no. Like, your job is to control the match and stay out of the way and let the players play. control the crowd, too. control the crowd. I'm like, no, there's nothing that an umpire can do to control the crowd. I'm sorry. You can, you can yell all you want, but if they want to, like, defy you, they're going to defy you. Your job is to enforce the rules. Now, the problem within tennis and what continues to bite the sport um, in the butt a little bit is that there is too much, like, not leniency, but there is... It, there is an inconsistent application of the rules or oh enforcement God, yes. of the rules. That means that for Carlos Ramos, who has the history of being a stickler for the rules, he's a rules guy. He's not there to be friends with anybody. He, he We know this. Rafa gets mad at him. Like, Novak gets mad at him on time violations and things like that. Serena said, I've never had a problem with him. He's a good umpire. And he's, and he's called a lot of Serena matches. We he's were going called through, a lot of Serena matches. He called Serena Venus earlier in the tournament. Yeah. He was the umpire for that. He called her 2016 semi against Pliskova. Yeah. I mean, we went through, there's like a bunch of Carlos Ramos matches. So yeah, they so knew each other. They knew each other. And then, so nobody ever has ever really had anything, even like Rafa with all the problems he's had with Carlos. He never like says like, that guy sucks. Like, you know, like he's just, he's looking for things to call me on, you know? And it's like, well, I mean, I don't know. Um, for a person who's like very much a rules person, I, you know, I'm okay with umpires being sticklers, but they have to do it all the time because yeah. this is specifically the problem is that justice is uniform application of the rules all the freaking time because then if you know what the line is you don't cross it but in tennis for the players it's not fair to them they don't know where the line is because it depends on the day it depends on the mood it depends on the umpire there is no consistency that is a problem i think that's a big problem um so that's point one point two i mean with respect to to the analogy which i know like i kind of brought up 24 hours ago and i have to say like i'm still thinking my way through all of this like i haven't really kind of come down on what i think was right or wrong or who was right or wrong. I just know that Naomi Osaka got really hosed. And that's the thing that really bothers me about all this more so than anything else. But I do think that, you know, the analogy, the speeding, yes, you know the rule, you know that you're breaking it. But there still is a question of who does that rule get enforced against? Mm -hmm. And that that is a separate discussion to me because that becomes you know like it's, it's kind of profiling like, it's profiling it's driving yeah. while black mm-hmm. it's like okay yeah we can all speed but why didn't you pull over the guy who's driving a silver beamer but you pull me over like and i have like a red beamer and i'm black mm-hmm. right and and so you just have decided and yeah. maybe it's not con- i don't like it makes me uncomfortable the allegations that like you know carlos ramos is sexist or like racist or sexist i think that like there's just i just don't have any reason to believe that but I also don't have, re- I don't, I can't affirm, I mean, I can't 100% say that that maybe when he sees Serena talking sternly to him, that his, I don't know his mind, I don't know what's going on, but like, that it comes off differently to him than if Novak is doing the same thing. And I will say, and I I noticed this earlier in the match, when or earlier in the tournament, excuse me, when Serena 
had, um, I think she was talking to Jenny Zhang. I forget which round this was. Maybe with Kanepi. I'm not sure. Mm. Serena had a, a match where Jenny Zhang was the chair umpire. And she was trying to get her attention. Serena was. And she said, umpire, umpire. Mm-hmm. And I remember being kind of surprised that Serena wouldn't know Jenny's name mm-hmm. or wouldn't use it. I'm not sure which. I guess I don't know if she uses your name or not. And I'm because and, and, and part of me thinks she doesn't because of what she said with Ava in 2011, where she's like, "Aren't you the one who screwed me over the last time?" Maybe she has umpire kind of blindness because they're you know, which is fair not to get preoccupied with. But one. also, I will say, on at least from my experience on the WTA yeah. tour, there is no mingling. Right. There's there's distance so th- so this between is the umpires. And so the there's players. it's very different how with male on male umpires, and I'm saying with this Serena and Jenny Zhang, even female on female umpires, the guys with the umpires are like far more like collegial yeah they're like we are like on the same team i remember one incident with andy roddick carlos bernardes i'm gonna get the details it's a little fuzzy but andy roddick and carlos bernardes and i think andy roddick was playing i want to say chillich doesn't really matter who it was uh in canada chillich is your anonymous player (laughs) i think it was chillich but let's whatever so he's playing chillich or somebody in canada and there's some situation where he gets um uh where Chilich hits a a shot and Andy does something to like concede the point or suggest to challenge or like say no we don't need to replay it he would have won the point something that's like a good guy move and then on the next point like uh Bernardes makes an overrule that's incorrect against Roddick and Roddick is like suddenly offended that, like, come on, I'm trying to be a good guy here. Why are you making calls against me? And I was like, what is this level of familiarity where if you're, like, nice to somebody, you should call in and out no, differently? because people are good guys, and good guys don't do bad things. And this is of There's a sort of fraternal yes. nature with yes. the, on the men's tour with umpires, and they might do the same thing with female umpires. The female umpires well, aren't on ATP day-to-day enough but, to get those relationships. But this is my thing that I was going to raise, which was my third point, which yeah. is, like, okay, I'm saying that I don't know if, like, like Carlos Ramos or any other umpire reacts the same if it's Serena saying the same exact words and same yeah. throwing the same energy as Novak uh, that they're like with Novak like calm down dude but like when it's like from her they're like whoa 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 that's very possible we've seen that in, in general yeah. life which is a, you know one of the, the kind of more mainstream non-tennis takes of why yeah. this is a relevant discussion but the other thing too is like we also know that happens on the flip side that if you put a female chair, how many times have we seen a female chair umpire oh umpiring a male a men's match, and they make a call, and the men are so eye rolly and sarcastic and patronizing, David like Ferrer. we, I just don't trust you. But it, but if Mohamed Leani is up there, or even Kader Nuni, who's like more of a WTA umpire than an ATP umpire these days, but if Kader's up there, they're like, yeah, okay, like. This, yeah. the how the how the the, sex, and, and, the latent the the underlying sexism happens and, and why we know they, it and why they and why Leoni got so much support from so many players retail players exactly it's because he's friendly with them yeah. and that's the game that he plays and that's the currency they value and for Serena that's not it's cultural it, of the tours right? it absolutely is cultural like, of the tours the, and they and, and they're saying with Serena it's different because even just being angry or being upset with the umpire she expresses it in different ways she will say umpire umpire. Whereas Novak would say, Carlos, come on, man. It would be like a different level of familiarity and a different level of approach right. to it. And, and people yeah. will react differently to that. Yeah. And maybe Carlos is more... And well, Carlos is plenty of... He's not, he's not a new kid on the block at all. No. Yeah. But he would might react differently to it. But the th- thing is, though, I think... I just don't think there's a really clean apples-to-apples example, the way people are saying that there is, of 
male players doing exactly what Serena did and getting away with it. Or even cl- really close to what Serena did. Because like I said before, the thing that really stood out to me with Serena is that after she got her point penalty, she kept going. And that's the kind of that's the that's well, the one thing and that's why that you just don't see. And that's why there isn't it's hard to find apples to apples because the it doesn't happen. No, exactly. It, it very rarely you don't put them, players don't put themselves in this situation. Yeah, it, it just it just so so rarely happens. I mean, this isn't an instance like, you know, uh, Yeah, it it just it just rarely happens when somebody gets a code that you yeah. do it again. You don't see somebody break a racket and then break a racket again. Right, like because they know. Okay, the next one. Is a separate, point penalty. Sometimes you'll see someone get them. Yeah, I remember, no, I remember it's a when continuing Baghdad. It was, and, it, was yeah. it was, it was, it was, oh, it was. Uh, Roddick again, like asked Leani. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, I that. Was like, have you given him that code violation yet? He's like, no, not yet. Keep going. He <laughs> like, it started smashing the racket more and more and more. And yeah. like, that's the kind of thing that like can happen. Right. But so that was what's frustrating to me when people were bringing up past examples and just false things, saying like, oh, John McEnroe yelled umpires all the time, and he never got any game penalties. Yeah. John McEnroe got game penalties. All the time. That's literally why he's John McEnroe. That's literally why John McEnroe. <laughs> That's and like, and it's, it's, but people, there's this, there's this like, I, there, like, I don't know if there's a term for it, but there's this like confident Twitter thing where someone takes a subject they're not familiar with and makes up a like tries to prove a negative in the mm. past, and it's where it's like obvious. It's like, oh well, you know, I don't know. Um, like today, someone said like, oh well, you know. Imagine someone saying something like, well, Odelpo had the crowd all for him when he played Novak. <laughs> Roger never had the crowd for him when he played Novak. It's like, what are you, what, what, are, what are you talking about? <laughs> Some of things are so obviously wrong. People say them so stridently. Yeah. That's why it's very frustrating. Up. And you just have to do, you just, I felt like I had to do so much fact checking yesterday. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. I think that there's so much of, of that is that it's, it's, I think the discussion is a good one to have, especially because like, yeah, the, se- the sexism, racism discussion of like, are, is there something happening here that we're not seeing? No. I think we should talk about it. And it has, it, but when you have that discussion, do not try and wade into facts that you're unfamiliar with yeah. because that then gets messy real quick. And that's where, like, you know, don't Chloe, make that Chloe's argument. tweet was really good. Chloe's tweet was perfect. Chloe's Chloe tweet, Chloe Cooper Jones, friend of the show, said basically, listen to women who see that Serena being treated this way and feel a certain way. But at the same time, also listen to people who are inside tennis and know the rules of the sport. And, and the even history, if they're in, and the and even, right, in the history and the context, and even if those two takes don't line up, like, they're both still important. And that's where Serena, Serena, after she got her game violation, Brian Early came on court. She got much more emotional and talked about, I mean, she already wasn't, I don't, don't want to overuse that word, but she got broadened out into this, like, treatment of women and told Brian Early that she wouldn't be treated this way if she was a man. Men go with this all the time. Again, I don't know if there is a clean case study example of this happening, but I completely believe that Serena honestly felt that way. Yes, that yes. Serena, hon- it, was her, it was her emotional truth. It was pure. Truth. It, it was right. pure. It was, it was her truth in the moment and we've talked about that in different contexts on the show but that matters to her that was how she was authentically feeling and that was how her lived experience of being a woman on tour and she brought up in the press conference later which that was really interesting and salient and kind of like unusually academic of Serena to loop back into Alizé Cornet Mm -hmm, and she mentioned that as as an example of sexism early in the tournament which I don't think she'd talked about before in the tournament um and just and just brought that in it's like women have a have to deal with different set of things and absolutely right women absolutely do have a different landscape in the sport has to deal with lots of bullshit that men don't have to deal with black women i'm sure have their own unique set of bullshit they have to deal with that gets thrown at them above and on top of that and serena saw all of that in context of being serena in that moment and whether it was by the book actually would hold up to you know records that chair empires keep of what behavior is or not 
Yeah. It, it, it's it's important to have that context, but it's not everything. And it, it's important to have the context. It's important to have the understanding. And it, it, like again, I, I'm I'm happy that this conversation is happening, and hopefully, you know, there's there's you know, but like I've had de- I've definitely had people on my Twitter timeline being like, how come you haven't weighed in on this? And I've had to like you know like uh, you know um, radio stations or whatever have called to like, hey, can you opine? I'm like, I really can't. And it's not because I'm trying to be coy about it but i really if you're if if serena is saying that if she were a man that she would not get called on this okay can you give me a second to investigate it can you give me a second to try and figure out if that's actually true and or if i think it's true because what my gut instinct says even if it's like yeah serena you're fucking right that that would never happen that's not enough no to like go and like have this take you know so and with due respect to sally jenkins who published her column within an hour of this match like I mean, you know, that's, I understand, that's her job to be a hot taker sometimes and to sort of go have a, have a gut feeling and, and put it out there. And it's an impressive skill to be able to put out something that, you know, written uh, that quickly. But there, for, there's a lot of different things at stake, you know, that have to tie into this and, and the, and the factual side of it, it is one thing. Because right. if you get, I mean, this is, again, it's, it's my conservative uh, lawyer side coming out, like, and not conservative politically, but just conservative, like rhetorically, like, yeah. like. I was always drilled and trained by the partners that I worked for. You could have the best argument in the world and you're going to go and file your brief. You're going to file your papers to the judge. If there's a typo, you're fucked. If you have the alignment wrong, you're fucked. If you do not provide proper citation, like technical things. The point is, if you're going to make an argument and you want to be convincing, it has to be airtight. It has to be. It has to be one because the minute that you are wrong on one thing, your credibility gets shot. And that's the thing that, like, for this, I want the arguments to be right because I want the conversation to happen. But I want us to all be talking from a place of knowledge and not just... And, and also feel... I mean, obviously, emotions and feeling and gut matter as well as yeah. part of it. But if you're going to make the gut call, if you're going to make, a, like, right. a, something on emotion or your own personal experience, absolutely. But do not... When you start pulling in all the... Uh, like, that doesn't happen in tennis. And we're sitting there and, like, under rudimentary right. research. I'm like, that absolutely happens in tennis. Right. And, then, and Like, that's when I'm like, well, then what are we... You're muddying the waters. Don't do that. And it's how we lived the live moment differently. I mean, the people sitting on our press row. Yeah. This tournament, we are almost all of us watching, with the exception of Sandy Harwood, who was always, like, 15 seconds behind. He's <laughs> watching ESPN. We're all watching the raw feed of this match. We're not hearing the commentators from ESPN, from what I heard, were incredibly anti-Ramos yeah. and incredibly pro-Serena, yeah. which is... A certain take to have. Okay. We were all sitting there knowing the rules. Knowing like, oh my gosh, is she going to get a game penalty? What is she doing? Keeping going after this guy. Like sort of being like, oh my gosh, yeah, here comes com- a point. Oh my gosh, here comes a game. And we and we see it through having a not perfect understanding of the rules, but a better than average understanding of the tennis rules as tennis journalists. And we and we see it unfolding in it through a different lens. And just also the, con- that doesn't the context mean that, yeah. of the match as well. I mean like... No commentary, so you're just watching it happen, and you're hearing the audio from yeah. the, the court, but you're not hearing somebody interpret that to you. No. So telling it, you how to feel about yeah, it. Yeah, so like you know, all this is happening, and you're like point penalties and game penalties, and and why I raised that point about the fact that Serena was up three one. Yeah. After is because that's really important to me. I remember that in the moment but because I at the that time, time I just am like, okay, this is all happening. I'm like, oh my gosh, are people gonna write that Naomi Osaka? had no business winning this match that at the end of the day this match was effectively forfeited to her and it's like no the 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 code happened and the first code happened and serena was very calm and she stepped out and she and she had she got the break then she played a terrible game on her own and got broken back then osaka breaks again and 
you know, she busts the racket and then they just basically hold serve and she gets the game penalty and she's losing it and like whatever. But like the whole time, again, because I was, I understood what was happening with Serena, but because of the scoreline, I was very much paying attention to Osaka because like from my perspective, live vlogging, I'm like, this match could be over. We could have a grand, new Grand Slam champion. I mean, Osaka could win this match. So I wasn't obsessed, and also knowing that I wasn't really going to write and weigh in on yeah, that immediately for WTA, for WTA yeah. you know? So I'm like, I'm, that's not my concern. So my my lens was fully focused on Naomi and what was actually happening in the match and the scoreline. So And Naomi did an unbelievably great job absurd. of keeping her blinders on, keeping focus in this incredible storm that she couldn't have seen coming. We talked about what our perception was. The crowd couldn't hear anything that was happening on court. The acoustics in in Ash, not surprisingly, don't allow you to hear conversations. Well, and if you had that that Amex radio, you were hearing the ESPN feed, which which was super pro-Serena. Yeah. And anti-Ramos. So I then, hadn't thought about that part. That's true. Then every, they were hearing ESPN. It just it got it got out. It of got control. ugly. It I got mean, there really were like people ugly. shouting like a lot of like you could do a lot of lip reading of the lower bowl late in that match and hear plenty of obscenities in a way that like I love New York for being a you Bronx know, cheer, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah, but more like a, a Bronx go fuck yourself more yeah, literally. No, yeah, and you know, and it was it's all what it was, and for Osaka to close this up on Osaka for her to keep her head in that moment, even if she had to cover her eyes with her visor. Like, was incredible. And I felt so bad for her that this moment, her... She talked about how she dreamed about playing Serena. And Tom Rinaldi asked her afterwards in the trophy ceremony, how does the reality compare to the dream? Which I was like, what do you think this reality looks like compared we to her screaming. dream? Like, and on press row, we were like, no, no, no. You cannot, answer, you cannot and, ask this and, kid and that question And thankfully, right she didn't answer that question. Because yeah. she'd be like, oh, this is different. I didn't think people would be booing the trophy ceremony. Like, what... So, anyway. Ugly scene. Great champion. I cried. Yeah. I cried for her. Yeah. I really did as I was sitting there and just kind of watching and she her. she was crying too. And she was you just crying. Didn't, and you, it was, what was really sad about it is that you just, and I think Louisa Thomas wrote a thing for yeah. New Yorker about it that I think was good. Just sort of capturing the sadness of it. I don't know if she said this directly, but like watching Naomi Osaka cry during a trophy ceremony and you weren't sure if they were tears of joy or tears of sadness, like that's rough. Yeah. Because she had every reason to have both. Yeah. And that's to have this moment. And this is one thing where I was frustrated with Serena. Where Serena, I thought, could have been more respectful to what Naomi had at stake. And what, Na- what Naomi's... Not the, again, this is not her job as a competitor. And I can think people like, athletes aren't responsible for the feelings of their person, of the other person in the net during the match. And Serena did do a good job of quelling the storm once she got the microphone in the trophy ceremony. But as she carried on against Ramos more and more and more, she was making the second set more and more about her feelings and how she'd been wronged. And taking the spotlight and the narrative of this match away from Osaka. And that was frustrating to me. She did come back in the trophy ceremony and sort of, and after it was all done. And she was very complimentary of Osaka right. in the in the post-match press conference mm-hmm. because she was asked point blank, like, Serena, do you think that the umpire impacted the result? Yeah. And Serena was like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, and, and like, I actually kind of expected Serena to say absolutely because yeah. I, I felt like she felt really genuinely wronged. And I can understand if she would said like, you know, I was impressed with the nuance in that answer. There was. Yeah. She was like, I don't know. Like, she was playing really well. Obviously, I know that I can come back, and I've done it before. Yeah. But she was playing really, really well, and I was yeah. going to have to elevate and improve my game to, like... So all that is to say, that second set was a lot. There's a lot to talk about and, like, whatever. But Naomi Osaka is a Grand Slam champion. And honestly, like, I mean, I was thinking about it today. Because I think um, maybe Steve Wilson tweeted this or somebody, but like he tweeted, they were talking about something about um, uh, endorsement deals, and I was like, 
oh my gosh, Naomi Osaka within the next two years, I'm pretty sure, is going to be potentially the highest paid female athlete. I haven't thought of that. Tokyo 2020 is coming up. She just won a major title. She's 20 years old. She's international. She signed that citizen deal with the watch deal right before the tournament. Better started right now. Better started immediately. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go buy a citizen watch right now. (laughs) Um, But you have to think about like if Sony gets involved, if Rakuten gets involved, if all, you know, a car company, car company, she doesn't have car sponsorship yet. I mean, within the next two years, like, I, I mean, especially when you think about at some point if Serena and Maria, who've kind of locked up those first two spots, are kind of if, if they're if they're lesser than or if they, they leave the sport like i mean you know what she should get free tips to her she should get a gaming deal oh my gosh yeah well she should get sony and then she gets ps4 a sony or like nintendo did you see two. bethesda studios which makes yeah. one of my favorite games fallout they tweeted about naomi osaka being like good luck in the final naomi osaka like play skyrim by day go play serena williams by night like i was just like oh my god like yeah this kid so i'm i mean i'm thoroughly happy for her I wish it would have been done under different circumstances. I wish that she could have had that pure moment yeah. where standing next to your idol wasn't you crying out of sadness. Yeah. As the idol. Or embarrassment. I guess, I don't know what, exactly what the motion was. I, because she's a, compli- she's a complicated, she's complicated character. Yeah. And it's, it's honestly knowing her, it's possible she felt embarrassed to have beaten Serena. Yeah. Who's her favorite player. And to have taken this moment of tying Margaret Court, whose name we have not mentioned, thank the Lord. Um, but then you didn't mention it. I'm just saying, <laughs> but you know, but I don't know. I was, I'm one of the things I was really looking forward to this weekend was Margaret Court being irrelevant. We didn't get that. Well, I think we still should have it, but it was not official as much as it could have been. It was all, it was all unideal, but I hope only, I hope Naomi takes it well and I hope that she follows it up well. I mean, what her career has in store for the future is this does not feel like she's going one. I cannot imagine this being a one hit wonder situation. A hundred percent. Because, like we said, she played within herself and she's going to Singapore. Yep. There you go. Well, we'll see. But probably. Oh, she's like number four in the race. She's going to make it. And with that, no, obviously no official WTA announcement. No, 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 no. And with that, that's like part one of our show. We'll be back. We're going to eat now. My friend once told me something so right. He said to be careful of thieves in the night.